Number two would be branding, making sure that um, you use the right voice and tone and that you're actually communicating as a brand to the users and not just like trying to sell. Today, I'm sitting down with Andres, who is a conversion rate optimization specialist. And today we break down the best things you can do for your brand in order to improve your conversion rate and tips on how to double your conversion rate. So with that all being said, I'm Nikita from aspectagency.com and let's get into the podcast. Andres, welcome to the Scaling E-Commerce podcast. It's a pleasure to have someone on with specifically your experience because you mainly specialize in landing pages, uh, landing page design, development, as well as conversion rate optimization. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for, for having me on the podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. So one thing I wanted to discuss today with you and share with our audience is a lot of the things that people overlook when they're considering conversion rate optimization, as well as the difference between what you actually do versus what people think that you do. And I think the biggest thing that a lot of people think of conversion rate optimization, it's like, oh, I got to change this button color here, or I got to move this text here. But I'm guessing there's a lot more to it than that. And can you give the audience a quick breakdown of what you specifically do? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I've worked with a couple of different brands and something I've realized is um, there's this misconception that if you want to sell more on your site, you need bigger green buttons and you need like big tags and like pop-ups and like make it super busy. Um, but it's not always the case, right? Because sometimes you have to understand for the goal of the brand, you know, companies have different flows, different funnels. They have, you know, there are different stages of like their lifetime as a company. And so it, it's a pretty bad practice to assume that what's working for like a huge company is going to work with, uh, it's going to also work for my, you know, super small startup that only has a couple of now. And, um, it, it's, it's crazy because, you know, a lot of people actually think this way and, and the more you test things, you realize, you know, this isn't working for me. And so it's important to understand first, like, and be super clear on, you know, who I am as a brand, um, what, where am I trying to go? What stage am I at currently? And, you know, where are my OKRs that I'm trying to hit? And second, secondly, you have to think what's the user intent, right? Because Sometimes they go to these landing pages and you're like, oh my God, I love the design and I love the structure, but they're running ads to that specific landing page and you're comparing that landing page to your actual homepage. And so you have to really think through, you know, funnel wise, where are your users coming from? You know, are they coming from maybe organic search, paid search, maybe like a, like an advertisement on social media, um, or even like a blog post, you know? And so sometimes you have to, you know, think very strategically about hero, um, so that it's more effective and more tailored to your brand instead of just assuming that, you know, generic best practices are going to actually boost your conversion. So that's a little bit of what, what I do, um, I help for, you know, brands understand where they are, where they're at and understand, you know, how can we get to our next big milestone, um, as fast as possible and without spending that much possible. Um, and so I would say that's something that, that helped a lot of brands that I've had the pleasure to work with awesome brands like vital proteins. Um, they're, they're a Nestle brand. And so, you know, we've been testing a lot of these things and it's been an, an awesome success. And so I would say 
say yes that that's one of the the, the, the big passions that i that i work with in CRO. so so yeah that, that's just something that i would i would say to, to you to your audience yeah that's that's definitely huge because when people consider cro they're like okay cool i gotta see what this hundred million dollar brand is doing because they clearly got it locked down but the exactly. thing exactly they're trying to go for like the biggest market possible so for them those tiny little CRO, you know, changes are affecting like a million people visiting their website a month versus like a thousand people visiting your website a month or, you know, 10,000 people visiting your website. So that's where a lot of people I know personally get confused and like, okay, we got to optimize this button. We got to optimize this landing page. We got to optimize this photo, um, the site speed, et cetera. But they're not considering the actual intent behind it. And I think especially when working with you, that's exactly what they, or exactly what you specialize in is the actual funnel side of things, right? And how can you get these people from, you know, just cold traffic or warm traffic and have the highest chance of them converting into an actual customer, right? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, it, it's just like tackling the funnel first and then tailoring the design experience to the actual user intent, you know, at Vital Protein, uh, we had an issue where, um, it wasn't an issue, but it's kind of like a the the way it worked. A, a lot of users were coming in from from actual blogs into the PDP, and so the thing there was like you know how how do you actually tell a brand story from the PDP because the PDPs typically are designed to convey more about the product, and so if you just went with the best practices, you would optimize the PDP to just you know sell the product and maybe increase AOV by you know surfacing bundles and stuff like that. And so by missing out on like understanding really the intent of the user, um, it was huge for them because, you know, people were coming in and asking, you know, what, what collagen, right? Because they sell collagen and like different supplements. And so they were like, what even is this? Like, do I get enough context in the PDP for it to actually make me want, want to buy, you know? And so, um, it's important to understand what the user wants uh, and, and how to deliver it in, in their actual user journey. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when it comes down to supplements themselves, I think there's just a ton of education that goes into selling the product. And, you know, it's like, how do I know I'm low on collagen? And it's like, well, you first have to educate the person about what collagen is, what it does, how it helps you with like your bones, your skin, etc. And then it's like, okay, you need more of it in your daily um, supplement stack because of, you know, reason one, two and three. So in your experience, how much do you have to actually educate the consumer before they're ready to buy? It just depends again on like the, the industry as well. For example, if you're in the supplement industry, the hesitation might be, you know, will I get a third eye if I drink this or like, <laughs> uh, what's going to happen to me? Like if I drink this or what, what's the side effects, you know, um, versus like during the fashion industry, they care about the aesthetics, right. And like how it looks and like who is wearing it and stuff like that. And so. I would say it's not so much um, one thing that works for everybody. It's just again understanding the industry as well to make sure that you're you're tackling that that need, you know. And so um, I've worked with tons of like uh, health products and like supplements and vitamins, and like the common factor is like first of all, like how many people have drink have drank this, you know, and then third of all, like is this backed by science or by some sort of doctor, you know, is it going to kill me? And so you won't see those hesitations, for example, when you're looking at just general manufacturing products, um, or 
camping, you know, items or, or something like that. And, and, and those users might have other hesitations to, to work with. And so what I would say there is, is really understanding, you know, what the actual industry requires from you, you know, in order to buy. And this is where like qualitative inner come into play to really understand like, okay, so you're in this space, what would probably be your hesitation to not buy? And by listening to users, you really get a lot of feedback into like, you know, what they're actually looking to validate those objections of not buying. I think the objection handling of any website is probably the most important part because obviously on a sales call, like you and I, when we have B2B services, it's very easy to handle those objections because, you know, we're right on the call or, you know, maybe we're doing an audit and we can easily explain that in like a Loom video where there's a lot of context. But on a page, when you have the user's attention for, let's say, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or maybe two minutes, you have to immediately objection handle like, hey, we're FDA certified or, you know, this camping equipment comes with a two-year warranty, so you don't have to worry about it breaking. So all of those things positively reinforce the purchase um, and de-risk the purchase so that way the customer doesn't feel like they're making a mistake. Aside from those objection handling tactics, is there anything else that you've seen that has worked or that has like the biggest return on CRO that you'd implement on like the, the web page or maybe in the card? I would say um, one of the biggest ones is, you know, besides objection handling would be social proof, you know, um, showcasing actual users using the product. Um, that's that's huge. We we recently ran a test and a bigger brand um, and one of the main reasons that users said we want to buy this product is because they saw the number of people using it, you know, a huge amount. And so, um, definitely in this world where any site could get down and, and like, you, you, you never know, it's super, super important to make sure that you're not just like, um, talking about it, but you're also showing them proof. However, that may be, you know, whether that is reviews or, or press or something that actually tells the users like, hey, um, we're real, we're here, and it's actually working and people love us, you know what I mean? And so um, that's that's also a, a big win for, for a lot of brands. Social proof is super underrated, and I can't agree with you more on that because when, even I do this, honestly, like whenever I'm making a big purchasing decision, I always look up like this, like customer reviews, and then I look at the photos. Like I love seeing the photos of people using a specific product because I know like, okay, cool. This person used this, um, I don't know, water bottle, for example, and they liked it and you know, all the different functions actually work because this other person tested it out. And that's, it's definitely super underrated. Plus if you have really high leverage, uh, you know, influencers do the social proof as well. I think people that are within the niche, they're like, oh, cool. This person, you know, in the fitness industry is also using this product. It makes sense. Like, I should definitely try it out at least. So I think that's that and the objection handling are both things that get people over the fence to actually buy the product. When it comes to actually working with clients, is there a, I don't want, I don't want you to spill the beans entirely, but what would be like the first thing that you look at when you onboard a client and figure out what they need to improve on? I would say number one is how big they are. Um, because. And then again, like there's, there's this misconception that, uh, just because I saw this brand and they have tons of reviews, 
I need to surface reviews, but then your brand only has 50 group reviews. And so it might not look big, you know? And so getting some context on like where the brand is, um, and understanding what's their unique value to make sure that you communicate that well across the board, you know, because something that's a really common pattern, um, when, when I, when I work with these clients is they have beautiful Instagram, you know, like the copy is super great. The images are awesome. And, and some of them might have like Amazon pages that, you know, and they're beautiful. And like the copy is well thought out. And then you go to like their DDC pages and it's just like, you know, what happened here? <laughs> and so, and so it's just making sure that across all like the different, uh, channels, they're actually being consistent. Um, and they're communicating what makes them great, what what actually uh, separates them from from the rest of the market, and understanding you know how well they're doing that, you know whether that is with copy or just visually, right? Um, Getting users like just picture this like if you, if you were to use Lauren Ipsum and and all your copy, would a user still be able to like feel your brand as they scroll through your landing page? And so. Um, that's a bit, you can communicate a lot, you know, through copy, but I think you can communicate much more through just like visuals typically because like when you're running, um, paid ads, for example, you have such, such a short span of like a user's attention and are really stopping to like read a lot. They're just like standing and filling out the brand, you know? And so, um, that that's mainly the first thing that I look for is like just overall UX and brand performance. Um, if they're doing it good, if they're doing it right and and, and what actually, what could be the actual possibilities of like hurting CRO, you know? No, absolutely. And it's funny that you brought that up because I have the same exact issue whenever I'm working with email clients. It's like beautiful website, beautiful Instagram, beautiful socials, everything's great. And then their emails are just like a dungeon or like they haven't been updated <laughs> in years and they look like shit. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, how are you guys dropping the ball on this? You know, like this is the first impression that your customers get, or at least on that specific channel. So you can't really mess that up. Now, exactly. would you work on, like, obviously you take into account, like how, what the brand is, what their branding actually is, or like what they're trying to convey with their messaging, their values, their principles, what would be the specific pages that you would focus on next? Like, would it be the product description pages, like number one focus, or would it be, you know, the home page is number one focus and then the product description page? What does that priority list look like for you? Uh, that that really depends. You know, I, I used to think that the more important pages were the homepage and then your PDP. But I've worked with different, you know, several brands in the past couple of months that, you know, I would say less than 10% of their traffic goes to homepage. And they're so heavy on individual one-page landers that, you know, it's just not that important, you know, and, and, and it just worked better for them. Um, and so again, that just comes to, you know, the, the, what we were initially speaking about, you know, where you are as a brand, you know, what, what are your marketing efforts? What are you trying to do? And not just assume like, Hey, I'm just going completely all is my, my whole page in PDP and then your one page lander, which is getting most of the traffic. They're pretty much just like left out, you know? And so I would say optimization follows users and traffic. And so whatever, whatever the, that's why it's so important when I talk to Brad to understand, you know, where's your traffic coming from, um, to really understand what needs to be optimized next, because for example, a user, a user might be coming from, you know, 
page search of a blog. And then from the blog, they're redirected to the PDP, you know, instead of like going through like the generic homepage and then collections and then PDP, you know what I mean? And so, um, it's important to understand the whole flow because that's what I believe you should optimize first to be able to, um, see better results, you know? And so it's very, it, it really depends on like the brand where they are, um, and, and what they're doing. So you'd say it would make more sense to first optimize what gets the most traffic and then work down through that list of like, let's say this specific product's getting the most traffic because you're pumping it on Facebook, right? And then the homepage is number two and then the FAQ page is number three and so on and so forth. Exactly. And I mean, I would say like the, in Altit, if we had to pick one page, um, the one that would be the most important or at least the centric one would be a PDP because essentially that we're a, a user ad card. Um, and so regardless if they're coming in from like a homepage, a collection or a blog, or if you're like running some ads directly to a PDP, like it always ends on a PDP. There are some small exceptions where there's some brands that actually allow, um, at the cards in some other places, uh, in some instances that work, but across the board, I, I don't think I've seen it perform that well, but if we had to pick one page, I would say PDP has been, you know, the, the most prominent one for at the cart rates. And so, um, whatever that is, you know, whatever funnel you're following, make sure that, you know, making sure that your PDP is optimized so that a user can add the cart. And when they get to a PDP, uh, you will at least remove some friction between, you know, the objections that you had or that they had, sorry. Um, so that when they get there, they, they're not in the mindset of like trying to get convinced that they need it. It's more of like, okay, I'm just going to add to cart. You put it in. And so, um, uh, I would say the PDP is very, very important. Got it. And when you analyze these, these brands, uh, on your end, you don't have to give me like an exact number, but ballpark wise, how much revenue does like an average store lose by not having the right CRO implemented onto their website? That depends. Um, cause different, different sites have different revenues, but we saw, uh, with one brand, they, they did some small change in their, uh, uh I forgot. I think it was their, their PDP. Um, and that resulted in like $50,000 more revenue a month just by doing like a small tweak. It was something like, yeah, it had something to do with like, um, adding urgency below the add to cart, but just something subtle, like they order in the next 24 minutes and then you get free shipping or something like that. And so, um, when you test something like this, you know, it could result, I think I saw a brand that made around $90,000 of revenue extra a month just by, you know, placing the, the point you feel like they're below the add to cart. And so it's, um, it's pretty, pretty unreal. What, what CRO can do for your company. Absolutely. And I think a good question to close this podcast off with would be for all the people that let's say that are running their own brand and they want to do CRO, but maybe they're not in a position to invest in CRO right now. What would be like three low hanging fruit tips that they can implement into their store right now? that can boost up their conversion rate? I would say just generic best practices would be first user experience, you know, make sure that, um, your buttons and colored path accessibility, sometimes you can barely read, you know, because of the contrast, you can barely read the buttons, making sure that the actions are clear, um, making sure that there's enough white space and that, you know, 
your user experience is on point. Number two would be branding, making sure that um, you use the right voice and tone and that you're actually communicating as a brand to the users and not just like trying to sell, you know, like, and I've seen sites that it's promos and promos and promos and like, they're just like, so you, you can, you can you could smell it from a mile away that they're trying to sell to you so hard. Um, and so that decreases the LTV in the long run. And so just making sure that your branding is also tailored to, to, to the whole experience. And then lastly, I would say it's a combination of two, but I would say copying tied into keywords as it relates to SEO, um, you know, finding the right keywords, finding the right niche, finding the right things to say about the product goes a long way. Um, and, and to be upfront about it because users are not trying to, it's not a, it's not a, a, a book that they're trying to read. And so like simplifying everything, but making sure that you have the right components and that your SEO keywords are, are on point. I would say if you can do those three things, you can start to see a significant uplift in your, in your e-commerce site. Yeah. Those are all super valuable tips. We've had so many brands that came on to, for us to help them with email marketing and our designer looked at their like landing page and it was like, Hey, like, why are these buttons bright blue and the text behind them is white? You can barely see the add to car button. As soon as they changed that, it was like a nine day difference in conversion because it was just the readability and the UX and UI design was just trash to begin with. So yeah, but I mean, with all that said, and Andres, thanks again for coming on. Where is the best place for people to find you to either work with you or maybe get like an audit or an analysis and whatnot? Uh, the, the best way to do it is to get to my site or to follow me on Twitter and just reach out. Uh, LinkedIn as well could be a, a good way to do so. Um, I don't know how you handle it, but uh, maybe we can link link those uh, somewhere. But that, that those would be the actual best ways to reach me. Yeah, no, I can link them down below. But what would be like your Twitter at? It is uh, UX Zero Andres. Look at that, nice and simple for everyone to follow. <laughs> yeah. Well, Andres, thanks again uh, for coming on and I'll see you on the next one. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Nikita. Thanks again for joining us on the Scaling E-Commerce podcast. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review. It really helps out with the algorithm. If you want email marketing tips delivered straight to your inbox on a weekly basis from yours truly, then check out the link below or in the show notes to subscribe and join my newsletter. If you're a D2C brand with at least 10,000 email subscribers and interested in starting a conversation to work together, then go to aspectagency.com and we'd love to chat with you. And if you want to stay up to date with anything email and SMS, just follow me on Twitter at Nikita Vakrushev or check the show notes for the link. With that said, I'm Nikita and I'll see you in the next one.